Hey, everybody. Welcome back to What Happened to You. Today, I'm joined by Tori Lee, a TikToker who popped up on my For You page and had some really awesome spiritual content that I vibed with heavily. And uh, we're going to hear a lot more about your story and sort of how you got into all of this, as well as uh, your own What Happened to You experience, too. So, Tori, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. We were just talking about this, but I feel like spirituality has, you know, been a really significant part of my healing journey and feeling not so isolated in this world and feeling a better sense of connection with other people and with nature. So I'm really excited to get all of your thoughts on how spirituality has affected your own experience and healing. But before we get into all of that, what happened to you? So I was sexually assaulted. Um, I think that the reason why this affects me so much is because what happened was such a gray area kind of situation. I hope that people can resonate with this in some way, shape or form and understand that like, you know, it's unfortunate this happens to a lot of people, but um, I had a crush on this guy and, you know, I didn't think anything was going to happen between us because, you know, I found out from our friends that like, oh, well, he had a girlfriend. I was like, oh, okay, well, he's like off limits. So I'm just going to, you know, back up my own business, do my own thing. But it was 2014. So it's like six years ago. And I went to a bar with my best friend and we were just there having drinks. And, you know, he was there, you know, for once, cause you know, he never went out with, with the mutual friends that we all had. And he was there with his dad. Mind you, this is like the craziest, I think, part of the story. He was there with his dad. And, um, you know, there was a little bit of like flirting happening. We were like drinking a lot. And I was so trashed. And I remember like I was, you know, girls, we were like, hey, like come leave the bathroom, right? <laughs> it was a small bathroom. But I went to the bathroom to throw up. And I like sat down to like rest with my best friend. And we were just like taking a second. And then all of a sudden, like he like whipped open the women's bathroom door looked me dead in the eye, grabbed me and yanked me into the men's bathroom. And the reason why I think it was so easy for him to do that was because the doors were like right in front of each other. Essentially. It's a really like, it's a small bar mm -hmm. and he yanked me into the men's bathroom. I had no idea what was happening. And they kind of like shoved me up against the wall. And I still remember a lot of this and it was really crazy because he held me up against like, close to like the urinals. And there was like, there's only two of them in there and like one toilet stall. And he tried to get me to look at this random guy's like penis. Like, wow, sorry, that has to be cut out. But while oh, no, you're, you're I was, you can say whatever you want. There's no <laughs> okay. language restrictions. Yeah, you're good. Okay. Sounds good. And I was like, um, no, thank you. And this poor guy was just like standing there was like shocked. Right. Cause he was like, why is there like a woman being shoved up against the bathroom stall? But this guy, this guy was just, peeing yeah this guy was just peeing just mind his own business but the other guy like you know that i had like had a crush on like had me shoved up against a wall and was like look at it and i was like what the fuck why <laughs> um what? i don't understand like it was just oh god and he like and then next thing you know like he just like throws me into the like men's bathroom stall and i can't remember like the specific details but i do remember he, he took his phone out and the way that he was behaving was very like, very like rough. And it was kind of one of those things where like, you know, there's like a really, really sharp difference between like sexual consent by which you're actually agreeing to like rough sex. But this was kind of just like, okay, this is coming out of nowhere. 
and he's yeah, just being this way in this like aggressive way. And he had his phone out and it was just, it was just wild. And, um, he was part of a sports team and I'm keeping this really vague because I'm still not interested yet in like ever reporting it. And mm-hmm. we'll get into that after, but a bunch of his teammates were standing outside of the bathroom stall laughing, possibly taking pictures, even making comments. And I actually knew the guy who was like the head bartender there. And he was actually in there for a hot second and said that we made eye contact while I was in there. And he like, and you were, so, so you were in the stall with the guy who was assaulting you and there were other team members in the bathroom too, just like, actively aware of what was going on yeah they were actively aware they were kind of like hyping him up essentially and just kind of like (laughs) trying to get in on it it was like i was like a bunch of spectators that i like you know i was so drunk it like it i kind of had to like piece it together like the next day but even then i didn't really fully understand the extent of how dark the situation was until like over a year later right um bartender also knew about the bartender knew the bartender knew, Oh wait, the story gets even better. Like it's, I'm really glad that I'm able to revisit with someone who like understands the complexities of trauma because you know, like it's, it's a lot, right. Some different like aspects and details and stuff, but totally these, like these guys were just like out there screaming, like making commentaries and things, you know, and it was just so surreal essentially. And Oh my God, the bathroom, the toilet was really gross. Like from what I can remember, sorry, that's my cat. Um, and, um, it was like, I, I barely even remember like everything that was going on. There was like a little bit of this and that. I don't even know if he even like, like actually like penetrated me. I'm sorry. Like that was like, like I'm, I still am unaware. Sorry. It's okay. Sorry. It's like, this is a big part of this podcast is like being totally real about the experience. There's nothing that you need to suppress or, or feel like you can't share. It's just whatever you would like to share. I'm happy. Okay. Yeah. So like the, so the details around this, like it was so hazy. Right. And so like, how could I have consented? But all I remember thinking to myself was like, Oh my gosh, maybe this guy likes me. Like, like this was 2014. This was like, this is problematic. Right. And I was like, Oh, like, is this some kind of like validate, but it was confusing. Right. Cause it was all the stuff happening that was like without my consent. Right. And so I couldn't believe that he, like, I think I was more excited about the fact that like we were, when we were on the dance floor, you know, like he kissed me kind of, and I was kind of like, okay, like, wow, this is awesome for like that one second. So I think I was kind of high off that and not actually like around the assault that happened, but, and actually now thinking about it, I can't even remember what happened after the bar. I just remember like leaving with my friend kind of, but like, I don't remember the specific details of like how I even got out of the bar and Um, it was weird and confusing for me and his friends, like, and mind you, like he still had a girlfriend at this time. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of like this, like crazy situation where this guy was there with his father, like your father's okay with this kind of behavior. This is so wild. So what, what comes to mind first is that this is some sort of an activity that is related to this team in the same way that hazing would be associated with a fraternity where it's like this seems like it's not like these guys were unaware of what was happening in the in the stall they might have been nearby but it's not like they thought you guys were in there just like hanging out you know they were clearly aware of what was happening 
And was the dad in the bathroom at all ever with like the rest of the guys? I don't think so. Um, But I like, I cannot imagine like with the amount of ruckus that was happening in the bathroom, because I think that's why the bartender was like, was like, okay, like what's going on. Right. Because that's like, that's a lot of dudes. There was at least like three to five men like standing outside of the stall. Like I can't even remember how many there were, but it was at least like, 25, 50% of the team or something like that, that were out there. And so there was a lot of spectators. There was a lot of commentary. There was a lot of, you know, like I couldn't even focus on like the complexities of what was happening, but it was, it was a lot, right. It was a lot happening all at once. And, um, that bartender, like, you know, we were kind of buddies and like, and the way that I processed this after was, Oh, like we hooked up. Like that was what I had assumed at first because I didn't understand the, the, the difficulty of like that lack of consent. Right. Cause I didn't consent to them looking at me. I didn't consent to this guy taking a video of me. And I feel like this man probably wouldn't have deleted the video if he didn't have a girlfriend. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it's like all these different things adding up and almost to an extent. Um, so I didn't process until like a year later what had happened. Um, prior to that, Um, we kind of engaged in this like thing where we would flirt in class with each other, even after this had happened. And for some reason, I still like wanted to pursue something with him. And so I kind of ended up doing that. He broke up with his girlfriend for like a hot second and all of our mutual friends, like this was a huge friend group. It was like 40 of us and everybody's like, Oh my God, like he's going home with like you tonight because you know, he broke up his girlfriend, like this is happening. But even then it was just kind of really like messed up. And, you know, he did end up going back to his girlfriend. There was a lot of confusion. There was like lack of communication in essence, but um, there was also racism involved actually, because I mean, he actually was actually considered like a minority as well, but he was referring to me as sushi, which like, I'm not Japanese. I'm not like, that's an even like added layer of like messed up. So like he's a massages and he's kind of a bit of like, you know, got like a racist thing happening there too. Totally. And so his friends were like, oh yeah, like he called you sushi. And I was like, ew, I hate that. Like there's just, it's so many so layers. Is, yeah. This is happening like later. It Was it the friends that were in the bathroom that night that were like, he's calling you sushi or is this like a different part of the friend group? No, this is a different part of the friend group. So it was and, a different part of the friend group his roommate was really good friends with me for a short period of time. Um, he would like tell me basically everything that was happening with this guy, like with all these different things. So he was part of like the mutual friend group that we had. And then the sports team people were like the other part, the other part of it. Um, and so like after that, like the whole situation, like it ended, um, uh, quite abruptly, Um, it was just like, we just like never spoke to each other again after like the summer of the same year. And it kind of screwed me up. Right. Because I would still see him on campus and, you know, and see his girlfriend that he got back together with who, you know, was like calling me a whore, (laughs) um, you know, of course. And I was just like, oh, great. And so I went through a really, really bad depression. This was like my junior year. So like, I was like, I was so out of it that year. Like I cannot even, I can't remember much besides the fact that I just felt like I was like in this like confused thing because I had kind of had feelings for him. And then I don't think I was like fully processing like what had happened to me until the next year in like 2015, like in like February, March, when suddenly I pieced everything together and I was like, Oh no, like, Oh my God, I was assaulted. 
Like, you know, like it's, it's this whole thing. And what was so scary was when I came to that realization, I was telling my closest friends and some of these people were like, Oh, but like you liked him though. And, you know, after that incident happened in the bathroom, you were like, Oh, we got together. But I guess like for me, I didn't understand. I didn't understand. I didn't put the pieces together because it's such a crazy, like, when people are assaulted, it's such a crazy experience because sometimes you don't even realize like what has happened until after the fact and like way after the fact. So yeah, it was like me, like taking the time to piece things together and process all of that. And then the fact that my closest friends were kind of like completely invalidating me in my experience. And it wasn't until I was like explaining the details to like my friends who were RAs who were like, yeah, Victoria, that's, um, that, like everything that happened to you, that was like, that was rape. Like, including the fact that, you know, people were filming you and like all these things were happening. Mm -hmm. And so they were, but as RAs, they were like, well, we have no choice. We have to kind of report this. I didn't know that that was an RA thing then. And we had to report this, like, you know, title nine and stuff like that. And I was like, oh no. Okay. Like th there's going to be like serious consequences. And I would see this guy on campus. Right. And so after that had happened, you could see the shift in his energy. Like there would like, there would be this like lingering, like look that he would have like towards me, like prior to this, the, the recording, like the, the reporting of the situation. But after that, it was like, he was like, you know, inferior. And of course his girlfriend and like all of her, all of her friends, by the way, were harassing me mm -hmm. for like my entire junior year. And like, they were, you know, they were like, oh, she's the one that like is trying to steal our boyfriends. And oh, like, yeah, yeah. Oh my. Of course. there was so much happening. And like, you know what, honestly, like I do blame myself for like some of the things that happened like after what had happened, you know, because obviously like I was trying to, I was in interested in a man who was in a relationship and I clearly disrespected that boundary. Right. I can fully comprehend that there was a responsibility in that. But at the end of the day, I, I was too drunk to say or do anything about the bathroom incident. And yeah, that it's... bartender coming back to him, like for this, this, this guy, oh my gosh. So he would kind I didn't notice this at first, but he would like flirt with me and I like, didn't get it. And then, you know, he was joking with me and he says to me, you know, like, I remember like when I was in there and like, we made eye contact, you know, while like you were basically like in there, you know, being intimate with this person, I was like, okay, like this is not funny. <laughs> and, um, so he, I actually, and also how, how did that happen? If you were in the stall, was he like, was this point? Maybe he, he, he was wondering what was happening. Cause he was like, all these people were like standing around and like, you know, trying to, and so he kind of like peeped through the crack uh -huh. and saw me. Wow. Yeah. He was expressing that he had seen you and he was presenting it in a way that was like, yeah, you know, I saw, like as if you, yeah, uh -huh. like I saw you, we made eye contact when you were like getting it on with this guy. And I was like, I was not getting it on with this guy. Like there was a lot that I could not have, but this was also the time I think around the era when like me too was starting to pick up. So we were still trying to figure out the concept of boundaries and consent. And these things are very new. And I think that a lot of this issue with consent culture really comes down to the fact that 
a lot of us grew up in like a lot of like purity culture, right? It's a lot of conservative traditional mindsets around women and their, you know, their purity and things like that. And I think that kind of gets muddled up with the issue of consent because nobody ever learns consent because it's just, okay, wait until marriage. And then we also find out that marital rape is also a thing. There's a couple of things that you, that you said there that I think are, you know, super pertinent, not just to your specific experience, but to like everyone who's been through something like this, which is when you were telling your friends about what had happened and they were like, well, what's the problem with that if you liked him? Like, just because you like somebody doesn't mean they can't do things that you don't like. Your liking them doesn't mean you automatically consent to everything that they could do to you. And I guess that probably ties to marital rape, too, where it's like, well, if you want to be with this person forever, like, why would you not be down to do whatever they want to do? It's like everything is situational. There's there's no black and white. There's no like definitive rule that can be applied. That's like, okay, well, you were interested in him. So this is okay. Uh, Of course, that's not what it is. And, And, you know, probably your friends more likely than not, the reason that they were responding that way was because they didn't want to have drama in the friend group. They probably just it, it whenever people like are adverse to believing somebody's story like this, it's in my I've found that it's always related to them. There's a reason that they have a personal invested reason in this not being the case, whether that's them not wanting to deal with drama or because they had their own experience, which you speaking up about your experience is now causing them to have to reevaluate their own. There's all these reasons why people don't believe survivors. And I think that it's very freeing to know that, to know that like, hey, this is not, this really has nothing to do with me and everything to do with you for, for not believing me. So that was one thing. And then I think also when you were talking about blaming yourself for the experience, you know, I, I, I will say this. I've been in situations similar to that where it's like, don't you have a boyfriend? And it's just the the lines get blurred in the moment where it's like you're we're kissing. I, I was under the impression that you were not that you were not single, but this you're giving me a very different vibe here. And in that moment, it's reasonable for you to assume that if a guy is kissing you, he probably doesn't have a girlfriend. But I think that we we take small things like that, like small pieces of blame and sort of the way that you said it, it's like, I know that there was something that I did wrong here. And I, I feel the same way oftentimes where it's like, well, why didn't I just speak up sooner, right? About my molestation. Like there's so many things that I could have done differently in these situations. But the reality is like that instance is like so detached from what happened that night where it's not even in the same realm of, of association where I, I don't think that um, while I empathize with the blame that you feel towards yourself there, I don't think that it's worth hanging on to in any capacity because at least in my perception of the situation, it's certainly not you're not to blame here for any of it. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, it's really like, I really appreciate you for, for saying that. Um, no, it's very true. Honestly, I think, yeah, the, the lines and the relationships, like all relationships are already complicated enough as it is. And then you have to throw in the concept of like consent and all these things and it's so many things. But the thing is like, even when we talk about this though, like when we talk about like the Me Too movement, for example, and people are like, oh, like you guys are making it so complicated. Like it's really not complicated, you know, like 
you know, people being too drunk to consent is like one thing, like that's a really, like really big thing, I think. Right. Cause there's a lot of like, you know, drunk hookup culture that like has been a thing for like a long time, but now that we're establishing, like you can't actually consent when you're drunk. Right. So yeah. it's a lot of gray area already with that. What happened after, you know, the title nine thing went through the person who was in charge of this case was not equipped for it at all. The RAs had to tell the school. What happened after that? Okay. Right. So after they told the school, they went through like whatever Title IX procedures that like were in place. Title IX is like the American um, like sexual assault procedures, I think for like universities or something. Okay. Um, so basically what they do is the school has to investigate, right? They're like, well, we have to investigate. And they ask you to come in and tell your story and you tell your story and they're like, okay, we have to like find witnesses and like verify and yada, yada. And I was just like, oh my God, this is exhausting already. And so I was, I, I think a part of it was also, I think the reason why I chose not to go through with it was because I put a lot of the pressure on myself and I was like, well, if this goes through, it's, you know, everybody's going to hate me. Right. That's usually what happens. And this is why I think it's so important to believe survivors when they talk about this stuff, because going through the legal procedures, I have so much respect for people who follow through with reporting it and going all the way to the end because it is exhausting. Mm -hmm. And even just the beginning of that title nine thing for me, I was like, I don't think I can do this. You know, my mental health was already really, really bad as it was. Um, we had a lot of mutual friends involved. He was, you know, very prominent with like, you know, the team he was with. And so, you know, he had a lot of friends and, you know, a lot of people, I guess, were like, you know, involved. Like it was just, you know, like obviously, you know, a whole like community structure comes crashing. This is why a lot of people don't even come out and talk about it at all. Right. That's why there's so many underreported cases as well. And so I was just like, I can't do this. So I, told the bartender when I saw him the next time, because this was a bar I was frequenting. Like, you know, we knew each other pretty well. And I was like, if my school calls you, tell them you have no idea what happened. Wow. And that was what shut down the whole thing. And really? I still remember that. Yeah. And it shut down the whole case. They were like, yep, sorry. Like we couldn't. And I was like, okay, I'm walking away from this because, um, it was, it was going to be a lot for me. And the thing is, right. Like going back down to this and, um, when I came out and talked about it on TikTok, it was the first time I was ever like honest about it. Right. Cause for years I was kind of going back and forth and being like, ah, you know, I was like assaulted, like, you know, and like try to brush it off. Like it was nothing. I was like, oh my God, no, like it took a toll on me. It really did. Well, um, I mean, that's it, a, a, an absolute trauma response is to diminish the significance of what happened to you. I mean, it's, it's so much easier to move on with your life if this is not sexual assault in your mind if this is just a drunken accident and i imagine that that's potentially part of why it took a long time to really register what happened to you because in that moment it's so much easier to act like this is not that that it was consensual if, if you know if the whole team or 25 percent of the team is in the bathroom with you while this is going on that's a difficult situation to be like, guys, you know, like help. It's very reasonable to have responded in the way that you did in the moment. And it really, I mean, it comes down to like, uh, like a survival mechanism. The optimal thing for you to do in that moment in terms of survival it, it would not be to be like help, you know, like this is to be, to brush this off as something that like, this is, this is okay. This is, I'm okay. It's going to be fine. And then that's also probably why 
you were able to get into like a, a relationship or, or whatever you guys had called it, some sort of a romantic engagement, because if you get into that romantic engagement, surely what happened to you wasn't rape. You know, it's a lot easier to sort of subtly dismiss these things and just move on as if things never happened. And it, it's a coping mechanism. I felt the same way. And, you know, when you're talking about why you don't want to speak up and cause all of these issues for other people. It's like just absolute classic survivor guilt. You know, I mean, we had to go to trial for, for the, for my molestation and I didn't want to do any of that. I just didn't want it to happen anymore. I didn't want to lose my friend, especially him. He was my best friend, but all the other friends who I thought I might lose in the process from people that didn't believe me. I mean, we're at very different age or time frames for when these things happen, but very similar experiences. And, um, I think it's so common for people to, not want to acknowledge the severity of the situation because it causes a lot of things to happen that you don't want to have happen. You didn't go into that night wanting to, you know, you might have had interest in this guy, but surely, you know, you didn't want to have this result in you losing friendships. And that would have been a very possible outcome. So when the school shut this down, they did it just because the bartender was like, no, nah, this didn't happen. Yeah, essentially, that was just it. And I remember, you know, mentioning the team, right? And I was like, oh, and they were outside and stuff. But for me, I feel like the reason why, I, one of the reasons why I also had kind of decided to report it was kind of just to scare them into helping them realize that they would have been complicit in something and that it would result in them deleting the evidence that they could possibly have, right? Because that's like whatever, if they had any images or like whatever of me, like that could hurt me in the long run. Oh yeah. Right. For like career, whatever. Right. And, you know, you hope to God that you're not on some like website of like ex-girlfriends and, you know, all these horrible things. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, nobody, nobody came forward. Everybody was like, I'm sorry. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I remember saying, I think I said, I was like, there was a video. So I'm like, there was like a part of me that was also kind of like, okay, well, you know what? Like at least something came out of this. Like, even though it didn't fully go through, at least they were probably scared enough or like whatever that they were going to be like, okay, like we're going to, you know, get rid of the evidence. Mm -hmm. Universities have such a, a laundry list of cases that they've covered up because again, it comes back to protecting yourself. Like the university is like, well, if this gets out, we are going to be responsible. They have a vested interest in this stuff not coming out, which is probably why all it took was one person being like, no, this didn't happen. And then they're like, oh, OK, cool. Well, no worries. Then it is massively beneficial for them to not admit that any of this stuff happened. And in the same way that it would be beneficial for your friends to not admit that any of this stuff happened, it always comes back to the person who's denying the situation but it doesn't mean that your feelings or story is any less valid it's like i feel like so many people are met with this resistance when they speak up about these things like over and over and over again by people that they love and and truly valued the opinions of and it's just important to recognize that like you know these people have no reason to not believe you other than reasons that they've created in their own heads it's also tough because we went to trial and the guy did not get convicted. So it's like, even if you do the things that you are, you're quote unquote supposed to do, it doesn't mean that things will necessarily be better. Even if the bartender had been like, yeah, this happened, there's a chance that the school wouldn't have acted on it. And, mm -hmm. um, 
who knows what would have happened. I mean, there's unlimited hypothetical scenarios, but uh, I think that it's so reasonable for you to have not wanted anything about this to come out. And especially when you've got, you know, the guy and the, his girlfriend and all of their friends harassing you and telling, you know, when you were um, describing walking around campus and seeing him after you had told the school and his demeanor shifting to like a, a demeanor of anger and like, you know, I mean, in that moment, he's trying to get you to back down. He's trying to get you to feel like this is not worth it for you. That's what all of those girls are doing. They're, they're, they're trying to make you feel like this is not the right thing to do. And I felt similarly, like, you know, I would, cause I would see the guy around all the time, the guy who molested me because he didn't get convicted. So he was just around. And when I would see him, it would, if, if I, if I ever made eye contact with him, you know, it would be this like, you know, death stare. And, and part of it is because that's how they, it makes sense for them to react that way. Cause from the, the story that they're telling, you're making it all up, right? So it makes a lot of sense for them to be like, ah, oh, fuck you, you know? But it it's a crazy feeling to be like, to know the truth, to know what happened and to know that they're still acting this way. And this comes back to kind of like spirituality, but it, I think it does cause you to develop a trust in your own truth and to know that like, y- you don't need anyone else to believe that this has happened for you to know that it did. And it's yeah. kind of freeing. So it's very true. Yeah. And that's why like, it kind of comes down to this concept in spirituality, right? Like surrounding like mindfulness and awareness. Right. So like, and I, I, I don't try to empathize with people who like do bad things, but it's just like my way of understanding the world and as many perspectives and, you know, things as possible, right. As human beings, we all believe we're good no matter how bad yeah. and how awful like the things we're going to use the concepts of good and bad. I don't believe in the concepts of good and bad. That could be a different conversation for a different time, but <laughs> um, you know, like people do really God awful things. Right. And we can still do these like crazy mind gymnastics in our minds to try to justify why we do what we do. I think that the worst possible sin a human being can commit is actually ignorance. When we choose to be ignorant and awareness is something that allows us to be mindful of the way that we interact. We're going to make mistakes, but there's consequences to our actions, right? There's always going to be a ripple effect for every single last thing that we do. So even if we look at the situation with like Brock Turner, for example, right? He, his father tried to minimize it to like, Oh, well, like my son in his 20 seconds of action can destroy his whole life. Well, you made that decision to, you know, assault a woman who was like, knocked out cold, right? right? Like that was still a decision, right? And so that's why with spirituality, there's this concept of mindfulness and the mindfulness concept is really about paying attention to your thoughts, your words, and your actions and taking full responsibility and accountability for them. That 20 seconds, the the amount of time that something goes on for does not dictate the significance of what it, of the effect that it had. That 20 seconds might seem like not a lot of time for, for Brock and his dad or other people, but for the person who suffered that 20 second experience, even if they were passed out like that, you, you cannot evaluate the impact that that had on that person. Only they can. And also to go back to what you said about ignorance, it's like when awareness comes in and you start being conscious of how you're thinking and the thoughts that are popping into your head, then you can actually actively start deciding or, or is this a thought that I want to keep having? Is this, is this something that is productive to my life experience? 
And without that awareness, you, you can't really fix a problem that you're not aware of. You can't make progress if you're not willing to acknowledge these aspects of yourself that exist. And it's, you know, it comes back, to, it's like shadow work, right? Like we've all had thoughts that we wish we didn't have, but the difference is whether or not you act on those thoughts. And if you are aware of them, then you have the choice to act on them or not. But if you're unaware, then you're just acting in this, it's, it's reacting. You're just having a thought and doing it. Sometimes maybe not even having a thought and just doing it without any awareness of the impact that you're having on the person. And that's where, you know, somebody like Brock Turner would really benefit from some meditation. Um, but uh, I was revisiting some of the stories, right? When you asked me to talk about this, so I was like thinking back on some of these things and there was a memory that came back to me that I'd forgotten about in a small conversation we had had. We didn't talk a lot, but there was something about how I heard a story about how people had referred to him as sketchy because there was some kind of incident that had happened with him a while ago. I don't think I was in school yet, or maybe I didn't know him, in which there was an incident where he was like in a bathroom with a girl. So that's all that was said. I didn't hear anything else. And there's something about him being in the bathroom with her. And it was kind of creepy. Like, and that was all I heard. I didn't hear any of the details. And he said, he was like, oh, like that was just like a misunderstanding. Wow. So there was like a part of me that I just, you know, revisited that kind of conversation that we had. And I was like, he might've done this before or tried to do something like this before. I didn't think there was a problem. Right. And when we look at his behaviors and his actions, like I remember we were, um, we were on like a school trip and he was hitting on every single girl mm -hmm. that was in this trip in front of me. And what was really weird is that I don't think he sees women as people. I really, really don't. And that would explain so, a lot. So the way that he behaves is this kind of like reckless behavior. But at the same time, like there are so many people who behave this way. Like he's not this unique like person. Right. We talk like, are you familiar with the, with the term, the missing stare? No. Okay. So this is really interesting. I can't remember who, I think it was like a blogger who po who um, coined this term, but the missing stare is a person in a community that everybody knows is kind of problematic, but instead of addressing the problem, they just kind of circumvent this person and try to like warn other people in the group. <laughs> so like yeah. they're in the group, but everybody just kind of be like, okay, like just kind of be careful of this person. Yeah. He's just, instead of, he's weird. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, you know, try to minimize it. But it's like, this person is still an active part of the community. There was no interest in starting drama and, you right. know, asking yeah, this don't, person. Just don't to, go into the bathroom with him. Other than that, he's fine. Yeah. yeah just, exactly. just <laughs> avoid the bathroom, anything around the bathroom. And he's just, just perfectly, you know, we, you can have a conversation. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why are we doing this? Yeah. Um, but, you know, like this is like that kind of behavior. But what's even worse is that, you know, you're kind of guilty if you're also enabling people like this. And his friends kind of yes. didn't think much more differently than that. Like I was friends with a lot of his friends and I wouldn't I wouldn't say like all of them, but like the way that they treated women was just like, oh, she's a whore because she's hooked up with half of our group. But like you all knew that she was hooking up with and you still wanted in on this on this action with this person sure. so why are you dehumanizing her and you know devaluing her as a person and probably, probably because they're upset that she's hooking up with all of their friends after hooking up with them again it all comes back to themselves nobody 
no human is born innately to think that another human is a whore you know like things happen and it's it's egoic too it's probably because they're offended that you weren't just uh, not you but whoever all the, the women in the group were were not just interested in them it's all our own things that we have going on that we're just projecting onto everybody else people that are enabling like if if you are enabling, that's what you are doing by being in the bathroom or by being a member of this community who it doesn't acknowledge the missing step or, or acknowledges it, but just brushes it under the rug or whatever. That is complicit. You, you are complicit in what's happening by not addressing it. You know, there were a number of families in my hometown who just continued to hang out with the guy who molested me and, and would, you know, stand with him at soccer games and send their kids over there still. And really what it is, is they're not wanting to acknowledge that somebody could do this, somebody that they like and care about. There is a lot of healing available, I think, in forgiveness to people in situations like that. Because you know that it, again, has nothing to do with you. And I took it so personally when I was in high school and I would see all these parents sitting with the guy who molested me because I was like, oh, they don't believe me and they don't like me. They're mad at me in the same way that he is. And it's like, really, all it is is they're trying to dismiss the fact that this happened. They might not believe me, but it's because they don't want to believe me. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's interesting to think about. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And this is another thing that's like really interesting that comes into play, right? Like, it's about this kind of belonging to a community and how the community responds to what happens. This is the the big thing, actually. It's a spirit. It's a huge spiritual issue, actually, with this idea of like the Save Our Children movement. Essentially, we are like all these spiritual people are so, so focused and centered around the molestation of children by like the government or these like big corporations and things. But what that actually does, like, yes, that probably is happening, but a lot of the abuse that happens in like our communities is in our communities, like, or like our neighbors, the people that we know, the people that we're familiar with. And, yeah. and so when we focus so much on like the government is a bunch of pedophiles or Hollywood is a bunch of pedophiles, we're not focusing on the biggest issue, which is that it happens everywhere, not just at the top that's so far out of reach, right? And that comes back to assault and abuse, right? A lot of us don't, and it's really hard for us to process that someone we know, someone we're close to, someone we interact with is capable of unspeakable horrors, right? And can commit such horrible things, right? So in pertaining to like your situation, for example, I think people can't process like, would that make me a bad person if I associate with this man? And so I'm going to associate with him to deny that I, a good person, could never be involved with someone who's horrible. So I'm going to do everything I can to keep him as close as possible to me so that I can like validate the sense of, you know, I believe him. Therefore I am still a good person, you know, because what you did was you disrupted the peace in the community, which is not true. That's what yes. they believed. Yeah. So sorry. <laughs> right? so, like, oh, it comes down, right. It comes down to like me as well. I would have completely disrupted my school. Yes. If I had continued on with this. Right. And what was so crazy is that there was another situation of a girl a few years later who has similar situation happen where she did choose to follow through with it. And the school kind of, I mean, this is subjective. So like 
from my personal person, but kind of try to sweep it under the rug. And she came out with a whole blog post talking about it and people were still invalidating her when thing, when evidence was going missing and, you know, like there was just so much involved and she was still trying to, you know, I believed her because I was like, you know what, this has happened to me. I know, I know. And again, people were standing over them. Mm-hmm. people were watching this is the this is the scariest part too right it's like that that concept of like the bystander effect and people were standing around them when this was happening wow also right so i was just like oh my god there's so many parallels here but mm-hmm. it's like where you know when you come out you're 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 threatening the community right yeah you're coming out with a problem and there's a problem but people don't understand when you bring up a problem the problem is brought up to the surface to be fixed and to be released you don't bring up problems you don't bring up a problem to like to you know cause chaos human beings are excellent guys yeah yeah like we're we're (laughs) just like as human beings like when you come together in a community you can help each other overcome your pain and your trauma you can do it collectively. It's so much easier to overcome these things, right? That's why when, when you bring up problems because you want to fix something, you want it to get better. You want us to all work together to heal together. But instead people take it as an attack. Like, why are you bringing this problem up? I must deny that there are problems that exist in this world so that I can continue to live in this like delicate balance of like walking on eggshells my entire life because I'm comfortable with the uncomfortable. Well, I think you just completely nailed that, and uh, I'm so glad that I follow you on TikTok. It's a very accurate description of what my experience was like and your experience. It's rare to have a situation where everyone believes you. I'd say probably that's never happened. And also, what you said about Save the Children and almost like you, you are missing the fact that this is happening everywhere because it's like, oh, it's just these bad people in positions of power. And it's like, no, that's just to highlight that everyone is doing this. I imagine that the the girl who came forward, it was probably so amazingly helpful for her to to chat with you about it, because that's like. I actually never got to speak with her. Oh, well, no, I'm sure she would love to chat. <laughs> I know. I, I really I really should have like I think there was a part of me that like really wanted to. But this is again, it's like that concept of like she's going to be like, why that? Like, who are you? Why are you trying to talk to me? Like, and I was worried. I was like, but you know, now being the person I am, like if somebody did that, I'd be like, Hey, like we can talk about it only if you're comfortable with it. But like, if you're not, that's also fine. I can just sit with you and like, and if you want nothing to do with me, it's also fine. But, yes, yes. Um, but Hey, I believe you. Yeah. And if I had understood the power of someone saying, I believe you, Oh man, if I had understood that I would have done it because when I came out on TikTok, like oh, it's this beautiful community that I've managed to, to build, you know, through my, it, it's, it's a small community, but every last person who follows me matters, like really madly, like truly madly deeply. Like I love, I love the people that I'm interacting with on a daily basis, but I came out and it's all these people that I've spoken to who are like, Hey, like, I believe you, you know, you know, if you do want to come up and like fight this guy, I will be with you every step of the way. Like there was so much love that I felt and like, and it's like people, the fact that people that I just meet on the internet have more support than the people I thought I could trust. It's a bit heartbreaking, but at the same time, it also gives me hope that there's going to be someone who understands. There's going to be someone who's willing to hold space for you and that you're not alone in this. I think that's a really, really big thing too. You're not alone in this. The internet can be a great place. Thank you. TikTok algorithm. But, (laughs) and you know, I wouldn't, uh, 
in the same way that I wouldn't blame yourself for for the fact that this guy had a girlfriend in that moment, um, I also wouldn't blame yourself for not having reached out to the girl yet because, you know, it'll happen. It all happens at the right time. It, maybe she wasn't ready yet. It's like you just it's so fun to trust the timing of things and to be like whenever you do reach out, if you ever do reach out, she'll be in a situation where she's the most receptive probably she's ever been to somebody like you reaching out. I think that's what spirituality is, has taught me a lot too, is like whether or not I'm aware of it, the timing's always working out and it's, it's up to interpretation and perception. If you yeah. uh, want to tune into that or not, I wanted to ask you about like the perspective of, cause you mentioned that guy who was just peeing and the guy was like, <laughs> like, look at it. It's just such a bizarre thing to have you do in that moment and to almost it's almost like he's trying to normalize the situation by bringing other people into it and it becomes like less significant because in his head because other people are there i guess i'm just curious like in that moment did you did that guy say anything the guy who was peeing oh the guy was kind of like oh please don't like he was very like oh no like what is happening like why is there a girl in the bathroom like what is like what is going on right and the guy like i think the guy had me in like a like a hold like he really had me like up against the wall like i couldn't move my head and i had to close my eyes to be like no thank you so i said that out loud to kind of like make the i was trying to i was in a situation where i was trying to make the guy who was peeing feel more comfortable <laughs> Where I was like, no, I'm okay. Thank you. Like, oh, that was the only few words I get out of my mouth. Like, oh, Lord. Um, oh, classic. But- it shows a lot about your nature, you know, how in that moment where it was so reasonable for you to not prioritize anybody else, you're still trying to make other people feel okay. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I never had the, mo- the time to unpack that until now. So, I mean, I really appreciate this this new insight because i was kind of like wait that's a really good point (laughs) (laughs) but and for a long time too this is actually really funny um so throughout all different courses of my life i will have nightmares about zombies right and it's always me running and hiding from zombies and it was funny because i had this recurring thing happening after um the the situation ship had ended and i was hurting right it was like a whole my whole junior year was a blur and this was like leading up to me realizing that it was assault that, you know, I was having these dreams of like running away from zombies and things. And I was like looking up like the meanings of this and zombies usually have something to do with like, you know, you're hiding from your own demons and you're running away because you're running away and you're hiding, right? You're not confronting Mm. Uh, it. There you go. Yeah. And so it was like, I think the dream stopped once I came to terms with the fact that it was assault. Totally. And I was like, zombies really like it had to be zombies (laughs) but you know like i mean it is kind of apocalyptic right denying that you know this had happened and finally like there's this freedom that comes from realizing that it was what it was and it does i understand why part of the healing process acknowledges that um you know that you lost a sense of power when a person was hurting you in this way Mm -hmm. but at the same time, there is also so much liberation and empowerment that also comes from admitting it. Yeah. There's so much power within just that acceptance of it and just be like, you know what? It is what it is. It's it embracing of truth. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. no longer denying what you know to be true. 
And that is very powerful. And it allows you to trust in your truth. We spend so much of our time trying to think of like what we're going to say the next time we see that person or like, you know, all, all the things that we're going to do differently. And like we rarely trust ourselves to just be in the moment and respond appropriately. And I think that accepting what happened to you allows you to be more trusting of yourself and just to trust yourself to respond in the moment as it presents itself without needing to figure everything out beforehand and project all everything out into the future. And I wonder how how much trauma affects people's gravitation towards spirituality. Oh, yeah. I, I would put it into two camps, to be honest. One would be the people who are like only solely love and light, which I think I understand why it is the way it is, right? It's like spiritual bypassing by which you use your spirituality to neglect your trauma and be like, well, you know, I just ignore it because it's, <laughs> it's negative, but you know, then there's yeah, like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's still part of the spiritual journey, right? Like you finding this thing that suddenly feels so good and so different from like, you know, a lot of us are raised under the Abrahamic faiths. I'm going to spe- specify Christianity because that's what I'm most familiar with. I'm not as familiar with Judaism or um, Islam, but um, with Christianity, it's a lot of like victim blaming and a lot of like, you know, it's your fault that, you know, like you are a sinner, you're inherently a bad person. But spirituality kind of shifts it to be like, we're kind of like, we, we're, we're both, we, we are good and we are bad. We're, we're kind of this complex mix of both. We are capable of infinite good as much as we are capable of infinite evil. And every single day we show, we show up and decide not to be a serial killer. Like that's <laughs> how I kind of like to, to put it. Um, but yeah. right. It comes down to the active conscious choices that we make. And, um, when it comes to, um, you know, spiritual bypassing, like I can understand it. Right. Cause you know, trauma hurts. And especially when you're revisiting it, right. Sometimes it's just better to suppress it, but I've been reading a lot about the shadow and they call it the shadow is like this long bag that you drag behind you. And, you know, through, you know, like religious upbringing, right. You kind of have a lot of personal individual things you have to start shoving into this bag. But what do you think happens? You're going to have this bag. And the thing about shadows and bags is when you acknowledge that there is a bag, your life is so much easier. Right. And that's why, um, I, I can't remember. I, it was so funny. I was reading this in this book and I can't find it in the book anymore. And I was like, am I crazy? But, um, when you are funny, it actually means that you have come to terms with your trauma. It means that you have embraced it. Right. So that's why it's really funny. Cause you know, you do stand up. Right. So I was like, Oh, he does stand up. Like he, and he embraces his trauma. Like no wonder he's such a funny guy. Like, you know, it's you're accepting of it, but there are a lot of people who spiritually bypass who will say things like, Oh, like, I just feel like ever since I got super spiritual, like I'm not funny anymore. And I'm like, that's because you're completely neglecting the fact that you have all of this stuff you have refused to process. Mm. And the thing about shadows is you have to embrace your shadow. You have to merge with it. You have to just be like, you know what it is. It is what it is. I am capable of both. I am good. I am bad. I am not one. I am not a good person fighting. You know, there's a lot of people who do believe that like, we're fighting these like evil entities, like the government, which like, I understand like government can be kind of shady. Like my background is in policy analysis. Like I understand that, mm-hmm. but at the same time, the government isn't just like an entity. The government consists of people and it's such a more complex situation than that. You know, those people also go through trauma and pain and some people do choose to address their pain and don't just choose to bypass their pain and they acknowledge and they do want to fix things. Right. So it's not just this evil entity that's just like looming over us, like good people. Right. But there's this need to create a war between good and bad. And 
So we come to embrace both of these things, right? And so when we embrace our shadow, that means that we are able to be free of it, right? That's why like when things come up, it's not meant to stay. It's coming up to be released. Yeah. Spirituality is a lot about healing and community and coming back down to this idea of connecting and like, for example, like this conversation with you, this podcast is very healing because we are able to talk about it in a way that normalizes trauma, that it's okay that this happens. And this is something that I also really want to emphasize. Every spiritual person believes in this differently. But for me personally, I do not believe that bad, that people deserve to have bad things happen to them. That, um, whatchamacallit, there's this, um, the idea that you know, everything was meant to happen. It was all pre-written. I believe that suffering is an inevitable thing, but I don't believe that the explicit specific things that happened to you were pre-written and that you deserve to have these things happen. But it depends on your personal healing mechanism, right? It doesn't work that way for everyone. Everybody's spiritual healing is going to be different. Mm-hmm. And some people are going to resonate with, oh, well, you know, I feel comfortable with knowing that I manifested negative things. And I'll say, no, that's kind of victim blaming. I was personally so unaware of the impact of my own perception on my life for so long and how easy it is to shift your life experience just by changing your perception to focus on things that are more positive. And it's as simple as being thankful for things. And despite whatever's happened to you, there's so many amazing things in your life that most of us don't decide to focus on because of something that happened to us in the past. And we have like, you you can enjoy life immensely, no matter what you've been through right now, if you would like to. And part of it is sort of this, you know, victim mentality. Again, if you're unaware of it, it's difficult to make change. But if you're willing to embrace all of the emotions that you have associated with these experiences and not sort of just brush it off and and, and suppress it, there's so much catharsis available to everyone who's been through whatever you've been through, you you can you can release it. And as you begin to release it, I think it becomes easier to just sort of like step into this. It feels lighter. It feels physically like things are not as hard to do in terms of like the actual physical effort that you're exerting to complete them and mental effort. You know, it's just things just flow more easily when you're when you're no longer afraid because it's also releasing fear. You know, when we think about these things that have happened to us, we're generally afraid to think about them. We're afraid because we think that we don't want to relive those feelings when in reality, it's just the opposite. If you want to get rid of reliving them, then release them, feel them all fully and and don't worry about it. And it's different for everybody, like you said, but uh, I, I do think that there's a lot of things that we can do just as ourselves. You don't even need all of these other, a lot of us think we need like years of therapy to heal. And of course, years of therapy is amazing and hugely beneficial, but there's so much that you can do right now just by being willing to accept and let go of what's happened that'll allow you to really enjoy life more. The the one reason actually why I came up to talk about it, especially on TikTok, was because somebody that I love very deeply just had a very gray area incident happen to them. Hmm. And I 
was like, I was ready. I was like, who is this person? I'm going to destroy this person's life. Like, let's ruin this person. Like, I can't believe this person did this to you and abused their relationship with you to do this to you. And like, it, it broke my heart, right? This is somebody who, you know, means the absolute world to me. And I was like, you know what, actually, I think I need to share my story. I think now is the right time, especially when you mentioned like perfect timing with things. I was like, I think this is the time to speak about it and to talk about what happened to me. Because when I was talking to this person that I care about, it kind of helped them to kind of see things and understand that there is a lot of gray area. And that just because it's gray area doesn't mean that what happened to you is invalid because it is valid. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I think that it was kind of like an effort to kind of stand in solidarity with this person that I care about. And um, even like speaking with you and, you know, sharing this through a podcast and to emphasize this importance of accepting that, like, just because bad things happen to you doesn't mean that it's going to be bad forever. And that there's so much liberation and acceptance in um, acknowledging and speaking about it and healing together in this like kind of community setting by which you understand you're not alone. Yes. And the perception, if you believe that bad things always happen to you because they always have, it's very likely that they will continue to happen to you. And then it, that's why it's like, it, it really does come back to perception. And if you perceive yourself as somebody who went through something who now is an opportunity to heal immensely, you know, like that's part of why suffering is such an essential part of our existence is because it allows us to let go and overcome it and heal from it. And, you know, I would not, neither of us would be the people that we are without the experiences that we've gone through. Everybody's been through something and it's, it's all about how you respond to these situations. Yeah. Even if you've responded in a specific way your whole life, you're not tied to that response right now. You don't have to continue yeah. to feel the way that you've been feeling just because that's what you're used to. And everyone is capable of changing their perception of things at any moment. It's just up to you. And it's very cool to know that. <laughs> it's like, yeah. what, what an amazing thing. Oh, we don't have to feel this way anymore if you don't want to. Like, how sick is that? And I, and I yeah. you know, you were just, uh, you've said so many things today that really sort of tie to, to this last question, but you're clearly at a point now where you're able to talk about this freely and openly. And for somebody who's been through something similar, what advice would you give to them to get to the point where you're at now? There are so many lessons that we can draw from all of our experiences in our life. You can choose to take lessons from this if you want to. When we experience pain, we experience suffering, it makes us vulnerable. And as human beings, we want to close up and hide. But vulnerability is a superpower because what it does is you know, you are opening up and understanding that I'm going to be me and I'm going to speak my truth. And I refuse to back down because it is a part of who I choose to be. It's a part of who I am. My vulnerability is a part of me. And when you choose not to be vulnerable, right? You constantly are in the state of fear where you're constantly worrying about what everybody else thinks of you. And you're constantly thinking like, oh, they're going to use this against me. But People can only use things against you if you tie shame to it. Hmm. And, when you, and shame is a choice. Shame is a choice. Shame is a choice. It could be programmed. It could be a societal belief that you should feel shameful for what happens. But if you choose to take whatever has happened to you in your life, you know, good or bad, 
and choose to find, it's going to take everybody's way of releasing shame is different. Your vulnerability is what is going to take you so far in your life. And the lessons that you carry, this huge expansion of your heart space through pain allows you to understand that, you know, love is understanding, right? This is a Thich Nhat Hanh quote, but love is understanding. You didn't deserve to have what happened to you, but you have the choice now to resonate with others who may have had similar situations, could have had, you know, possibly worse, but no one's pain is invalid. That's why I noticed, this is a very American thing. I noticed that Americans like to be like, oh, well, you know, someone else must have had it worse. Your pain is still bad. This is not an oppression pain Olympics right now. Your pain is your pain. It is valid in its own way. No one is going to have identical experiences. You could, you know, when you even look at your own family unit, you are so tight knit, you live under the same roof. And yet each and every one of you have different experiences and you've all become different people as a result of it. What makes you think that someone else is going to have the exact same life story as you? No one's going to have the exact same life story as you. And when we talk about oppressors as well and people who cause pain, they're also in pain too. So it's so funny. I always think of this, this scene from Criminal Minds um, where like Hotch is like fighting this, ser- this serial killer or something. And they both had very similar childhoods and the, the serial killer for some reason knows this. And he's saying to him like, oh, well, you know, you went through the same things I did. And Hotch kind of like snaps back at him. He's like, yeah, but like I chose to do everything in my power not to end up like you. Mm. There is so much strength in making an active decision to be vulnerable and to open yourself up and to say, you know, I'm going to do everything in my power not to repeat the steps of the people who have hurt me. And it's at the same time, don't be angry at yourself if you are still in a state when you're not ready, that you're not ready to take on this kind of empowerment. It's okay, right? Every Again, everybody's healing is different, right? And that's why... I'm kind of like tripping on my words because I want to, you know, be as accommodating as possible to people that like in acknowledging that all of our healing paths are different. You're not tripping on your words at all. I totally know what you mean. (laughs) And there's no rush. A lot of people seem to feel like, especially if you're like older and you haven't spoken up, it's like, oh, well, I'm already like this. This is already my life now. And I don't want to have to deal with all of these things that have happened in the past. And it's like, there's never been a better time to speak up than right now, regardless of how old you are. And there's no definitive time frame that you're on for healing. It takes everybody different amounts of time and it depends on the different things that you're doing. And if you find something that really works for you and it's not a competition, you know, again, it's like, like what you were saying, just because other people have gone through something quote unquote worse in, in your mind or their mind or society's mind doesn't mean that what you went through didn't significantly impact you. There's just so many, yeah, just really nailed it. That was, I love that. That's fantastic advice and cannot thank you enough for doing this, Tori. I really appreciate your time and energy and it's just such a pleasure talking with you. And um, I also want uh, you to share your TikTok handle for anyone that would like to find you, Instagram or anywhere that people can find you. Yeah. Um, so you can find me on Instagram at Victoriella, which is like a play of Cinderella. I got it from seventh grade. It's V-I-C-T-O-R-I-E-L-L-A. My friend coined the name. And then my TikTok is Victoria.Therese. Therese is spelled T-H-E-R-E-S-E. Um, and so if you're interested in having a conversation or, you know, like reflecting on things, like I am open, like I, my whole purpose 
for my TikTok is actually to hold space for other people to heal. So yeah, like it's, it's always a good time. <laughs> and as somebody who watches your TikToks, I feel that and it's, it's very palpable and I highly recommend everyone go check out Victoria. Thank you so much for this. Thank you for your podcast. Thank you for existing. Thank you for just being. You're a really, really incredible person. I see why you have a podcast. You're very engaged. You really also hold space for people and you're very like accommodating and understanding. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a pleasure to have crossed paths with you on the World Wide web. Um, so <laughs> Thank you so much, Tori. That really means the world to me. I just feel super grateful to have uh, come into your orbit. So thank you so much. No, thank you. I feel the same way. Thank you so, so much. I look forward to following you on TikTok and uh, we'll chat again soon. Sounds wonderful. 